Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. We know in our world, there is this pressure to make Christmas perfect. It, it even creeps into our language, doesn't it? When, when we find the right gift, what do we say? We say, I found the perfect gift for the kids. How many Instagram posts have you been sent this Christmas where there's this unreal light show on people's houses? Not only do they have like a billion lights, but the lights, they dance to music. It's perfect. And do you know why it's perfect? Because you can see it from outer space. <laughs> In today's world, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect at Christmas. And this image of being perfect is increasingly being pushed on us. Now, uh, I can hear you thinking behind the screen here. You, you might be thinking, Troy, you, you are overreacting. Troy, stop. Stop being so overdramatic. It's not that bad. But let me prove to you that it's gotten worse in the last few years. Because now, now we take family pictures at Christmas in our pajamas. <laughs> For most of you, if I'm coming over to your house to take a picture, you do not want me ringing the doorbell as you're getting out of bed and say, let's take a picture of your whole family in their pajamas. But in this picture, in this Christmas pajama picture, it's made to look like we just woke up like this. Everyone's pajamas match. Oh, who knew? And everyone has perfect hair. And no one ever has sleep lines on their face. <laughs> so it's like the whole family. They, they forgot. We forgot that we're going to take pictures today. But hey, we all will always look like this. We're all perfect. So let's just do it now because they're the perfect family. I think... This perfection has also crept into how we tell the Christmas story as a church. Now, I've seen endless Christmas plays, and in every Christmas musical that I've ever seen, the story was nothing close to reality. At the first Christmas, at the very first Christmas, Mary had her baby in a barn. <laughs> she did this after traveling a long distance. She had a baby with no drugs, no nurses, no sterilized birthing rooms. And in the plays that we perform, how does Mary look right after the birth? She always looks amazing. After traveling and giving birth, her clothes were always perfectly clean. <laughs> if you've ever given birth or been a part of a birth, you know how unrealistic that is. <laughs> Today, we're going to find our imperfect story in Matthew chapter 2. Feel free to turn there now in your Bibles if you'd like, or you can log on to our YouVersion app and follow along with our live event. We're going to be reading a few verses and covering the whole chapter, but you're welcome to follow along. Now, just, just a note, even the way we tell this story isn't perfect. Most scholars feel this story didn't happen on the night of the birth, but we still include this story this Christmas story in, in the whole Christmas 
package. So let's pick up our story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the, king, during the reign of King Herod, uh, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we, we have come to worship him. Now, do you, do you catch what these guys do and what they ask and who they ask? <laughs> it seems like they go to the palace and they ask, where is the new king? <laughs> do they not realize that they are in the presence of a king? It's sort of like walking into your favorite coffee shop and asking your barista, do you know where I could find a good cup of coffee? <laughs> now, you, you might get an eye roll from the barista behind the counter, but that's nothing compared to the look that these guys would have gotten from Herod. Matthew, Matthew records that Herod was deeply disturbed by this visit. But if, if you knew him and you knew the history of him, you might think that he's always disturbed. <laughs> he, he might have been disturbed because there, was a, there are some recorded stories of world leaders fearing other people reading the stars to tell them about the downfall of their kingdom. Herod, he could be afraid that his kingdom was going to fail. You know, uh, you know what I think? I think that it didn't have much to do with that, but it, I think it had everything to do with that these wise men, these wise men were looking for a new king. Herod didn't like competition, and he was quite brutal to keep himself in power. Now, Herod is actually surprised to hear about this new king. He, he doesn't know anything about a promised king. So Herod asks his experts to do some research, Find out where your, your, your scrolls tell us, tell us where the king of the Jews is to be born. So these experts check and find out that this child, this promised child is to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sends them to Bethlehem. He wants them to search for this child. And he says, hey, hey guys, give me a heads up. You know, where, just let me know where I can find him. So, you know, I can go and worship him too. So... The wise men head to Bethlehem and present their gifts to Jesus. So let's, uh, let's pick up our story and find out what happened after the wise men's visit with Jesus, after they leave. Let's pick it up in verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14 says, That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Now, there might have been two or three dreams in my life where I felt God was speaking to me. But this one, this one that Joseph had must have been so convincing that they acted immediately. Matthew tells us, he tells his readers that it was that night that they reacted, that they acted. For those very first readers, this might be a flashback to when their ancestors escaped at night right after Passover. Matthew's telling them that Jesus feels the same way that their ancestors felt, like exiles. 
Not only do Mary and Joseph have the drama of these strangers coming from hundreds of miles away and visiting them and giving them these strange gifts. Now, now they're getting uprooted and trying to find a, a new home to stay in, new jobs, new friends, you know, being separated from what their normal is. Now, I've moved a few times in my life, and it's, it's never an easy situation. I always find it hard. Now, to add moving with young kids, that, that adds a whole other layer. And to make it even harder, I can't imagine doing it on foot and just taking what you can hold and running for your lives. Do you see how this story up to this point isn't anywhere close to being perfect? And it, it might get worse. Because if, if we were to take a look at Luke's version of this story, he fills in some of the spaces, gives us a little different perspective from, of this story. Luke writes that before all this happens, before the trip to Bethlehem, the birth, Luke, Luke tells us of an angel talking to Mary, telling her that she was highly favored and the Lord was with her. The angel told her that she was going to have a child. The angel had all these promises about this child, that he was going to be great. He's going to be called the, the son of the most high God. Then the angel started talking about David, the famous king of Israel that they all knew about. Her son, her son and King David were going to be used in the same sentence. What, what an honor. I don't know. I don't know what you would have thought if an angel told you that. I think it might have been a little bit encouraging, but I, I don't know how long that encouragement would have lasted. Because at this point in her life, as her, her family's life is at risk and she's about to escape where they were living, I wonder, I wonder if at any point she wished this angel would show up again. Because she might want some clarity. <laughs> you know, a little bit of clarity always helps. Uh, you know, Angel, what does highly favored actually mean? Because you know, if, if highly favored means running for your life and trying to find a new place to live, uh, she might want to know what's behind door number two. Now, now they're running for their lives because someone told Herod about the king that had been born. This isn't what she may have thought was the perfect story that she might have thought was promised. But not, now not only were Mary and Joseph and Jesus running for their lives, the wise men, they have a dream, a dream as well that they're told not to go back to Herod. And we'll see, we'll see that Herod's plan was, was to find exactly where the child was, not to go worship him, but so he could get rid of him. Now, these wise men don't make the job as easy as Herod wanted it to be. In verse 16, this is what we read. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, we see this throughout history. Kings don't like it when their rule is threatened by another king much less a child king. Kings, they don't like other leaders. But this, this brings us to the tragic side of our Christmas story that we don't like to talk about too much. You know, 
we like to talk about the donkeys, and we like to talk about the perfect birth where everything is perfect. We like to talk about the angels singing and, and the wise men who bring these three gifts. But what happens next? It's, it's something that we leave out of the Christmas story because it is so brutal. Mary and Joseph get a heads up that Herod has found out that there is another king, and he's angry. And he wants his name to be forever. And he gets jealous. He doesn't have room in his kingdom for another king. Herod's soldiers get to this little town and slaughtered probably every child two years old and younger. And any child that looked two years old and younger that they could find. Rather than go back because they missed a boy, they say, we think we got them all. The soldiers would try and be thorough. They may have killed a few little girls just in case, but they didn't care. This, this part of the story is not what Mary had planned. This was definitely not her perfect plan. This, this was anything but perfect. She wasn't getting her way. But I find that God still works through imperfection. And for me, this is, this is my bad definition of imperfection. Getting my way. My, sorry, my, my definition of perfection, getting my way. Sometimes perfection for me is getting the things that I want. When things go smooth, that's when I say things are perfect. Now, I'm not saying that's a right definition. I'm saying that's how I define it sometimes. It's not always the things that I need, but perfect is the things that I want. Herod was trying to make his life perfect. And it didn't matter who he ran over to make it perfect. Maybe, maybe a great question for us to see if we have this poor definition of perfect, perfection in our lives is this. Where do we try and kill Jesus before he has a chance to do anything in our lives? Where do we try and kill Jesus before he has a chance to do anything in our lives? Do we have a part of King Herod's heart in our heart? Do we always have to have our way. Now, I know your immediate response is like, no way, Troy, I am nothing like him. He was brutal, but he's the king. He doesn't want to be led by anyone. Sometimes we get a little bit of Herod in us. We don't want a new leader. We're doing a fine job ourselves and we don't need any help. But Jesus not only came as the savior of the world, but also the leader and Herod, he didn't like that. If we're honest, sometimes we don't either. We, we feel, hey, Jesus, you, you don't need to lead me. Go, go lead someone whose life is a mess. I'm fine. I'm in control of my life. I can make those decisions. But I find that when Jesus comes into our lives, he often doesn't come to us the way that we often want him to or expect him to. And to us, when we don't get our way, there's a curve in the road, things don't go the way that we planned or we prayed, we think that this is imperfect. And those of us, those of us who like to be in control, like to lead ourselves, we don't like it. For some of us, we have trouble allowing Jesus to lead. You know, the Savior part we love. We love to think that when we're sick, we can pray and Jesus will come. But when we're in trouble, you know, the police have pulled you over and you pray for, hey, just God, just give me a warning. Just give me grace. Give me anything. 
we like that part. But the part where we allow Jesus to lead us, maybe so we don't get into as many messes, <laughs> we say, no thanks, we can do that ourselves. I love this quote from Pastor Tim Keller from New York City. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping the unidealized version of yourself. I love that quote. Maybe our perfect way for Jesus to come into our lives is for him to agree with every stance that we take. Maybe during this imperfect Christmas season, we need to understand that Jesus sometimes leads us to a place where we might not want to be. I think that God speaks to us more than we could ever understand. We just don't understand how he speaks. Or we learn to ignore that voice because it's something that we don't like or disagree with. We, we like it when someone else saves us. But to be honest, we like it when we lead ourselves. Maybe, maybe we have the same issue that Herod has. We like to be in charge. We don't like the idea of someone else having a voice in our own lives. They, they, they can't say anything about how we live. Maybe we all have a little Herod in our lives. We, we like the idea of having Jesus in our lives, but aren't too sure that, we want, but, but, that what we want might look like. We, we, we don't like the idea that we aren't in charge anymore. For some of us, we want to serve God. We, we, don't, we don't really want to serve God. We, we want him to serve us. We want to be the leader of our soul, the dictator of our fate. We love the savior part, the leader part we struggle with. We want to be in charge. We want to make the calls. But Jesus, Jesus just doesn't want to be your God when you're in trouble. He wants to be your God every day, every moment of the day. You know, when you're making decisions about your family, he wants to be there. When you're making decisions about your life, he wants a voice. When you're making decisions about your business, he wants to help. When you're making decisions about your future, he wants to help you make a great decision today to help you with a better future for tomorrow. So this Christmas, this, this Christmas, would, would you embrace this imperfection imperfect expectation that many of us have about Jesus and let King Jesus lead your life? Herod, he didn't have any room in his kingdom for another king. But what would have happened if he did? We'll never know. Now, if he did, maybe he wouldn't just be a footnote in the story of Jesus. Do you have room in your life for another leader? Someone who has the best interest for you in mind? Where, where in your life are you resisting Jesus leading you? Where have you eliminated him from your life? Do you, do you just leave him in this building when you leave here on the weekend? Does he only lead you for one hour a week? <laughs> Jesus just doesn't want us to, to lead in, in, in a portion of our lives. He wants the whole thing. The good news is that he is being very patient with you. So the, this Christmas, reject the heart of Herod and embrace the leader in your life who wants what's best for you. Let Jesus be your savior, leader, and your Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so grateful for uh, your Savior part of our lives. We love the Savior part, but Lord, this Christmas, may we look at our lives and see where you're not leading us. Give us the strength and the courage to make those decisions, to give over that leadership to you. God, I pray especially for those of us who love to lead and have that gift of leadership, and we feel that we are smart and we're wise, but Lord, help us to learn what it looks like to give that back to you. So God, this Christmas, help us to embrace this imperfect Christmas that you show us. Help us to embrace that we don't always get what we want, but often get what we need. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Our doxology for this series is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you back here next time. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 1030. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 830, 10, and 1130. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.